0: Hello, welcome back to the National Association for Primary Education podcast. My name is Mark Taylor. Today we're carrying on our season of meeting people in the National Council and today I'm joined by Robert Young who is the General Secretary and Interim Chair. So thank you very much for joining us today.
1: I'm delighted to to be here and delighted to have the opportunity of talking about uh, myself and my route into the National Association.
0: Fantastic. So can we start with a little bit of your education background first of all in terms of people getting an idea of, of how you've been involved in education and then we'll start to talk a little bit about your involvement in NAEP and, and how your work has actually developed into there.
1: Well my story really begins in Scotland because I read psychology and political science at the University of St Andrews. Uh, at that time the university had a campus in Dundee as well as at St Andrews and in fact I was in the Dundee part of the university. Uh, The year after I left, it then became a university in its own right, the University of Dundee. Um, I became interested in um, educational psychology uh, in my final year at university. In fact, I did an option on educational psychology in my final year, which would have been my fourth year. Um, And those, those days, I thought I wanted to become an educational psychologist. Um, but once I started on my PGCE year, postgraduate year, at Goldsmiths College, which was in 1966-67, I discovered that I really uh, was committed to being a teacher uh, rather than an educational psychologist. And I then proceeded to teach for seven years in two schools in the London borough of Redbridge, I was at my first school for five years Ray Lodge uh, in those days Ray Lodge Junior School, and then subsequently for two years at Oakdale Junior School in south South Woodford. Um, I was always interested in contributing to higher education and indeed was invited back to do one or two workshops for students on the PGC programme at Goldsmiths. Um, so I developed, I suppose, a, a taste for, for higher education. Now, while I was teaching, um, I suppose the fact that my father was a university professor uh, working at uh, Queen Mary College, as it was then known, the field of aeronautical engineering, was also a factor in making me think about moving into higher education. Well, in 1973, I was appointed to what was a temporary lectureship uh, in primary education at a Dartford College of Education, which was a small college of education uh, funded by the Inner London Education Authority. But um, at the end of that year, my post was actually made permanent, um, I was very fortunate, really, to to be in that position. And Dartford then became um, a part of Thames Polytechnic. So I worked for Thames Polytechnic for several years um, until teacher education was actually discontinued at the Dartford campus in the early 80s. I was appointed to Avery Hill College of Education um, as a principal lecturer in primary education in 1984, but I continued to work on both the uh, Dartford campus, the um, campus um, where I had been working previously, as well as at Avery Hill itself. Uh, and then in '86, the, the the cohort, final cohorts on the Dartford degree had uh, completed their studies, and then I worked full time at Avery Hill, and I continued at Avery Hill. Uh, for the rest of my teaching career. Um, it then, of course, became converted into the University of Greenwich. Um, and my the posts that I held were were various. Uh, for a time, I headed the primary education degree at um, uh, Tennis Polytechnic on the Dartford campus. And then I'd had a similar role at, uh, at Avery Hill. Um, For a time I was also heading the primary team, uh, primary department Um, and shortly before I retired I was director for learning and quality in the School of Education and had also been an associate head of school and a vice head of the School of Education Um, and indeed for a time I was also temporary head of the School of Education um, but i was never really very interested in becoming the head of the school of education because i i found the politics involved uncomfortable it took me beyond my comfort zone and uh, i was really much more interested in the academic aspects of being involved in in higher education uh, i although i retired in 2007 i continued on a part-time basis for another 10 years working as a link tutor for the university and getting involved with various other projects. I for a time I coordinated a partnership project on behalf of the TDA, that's the Training and Development Agency. Um, and I continued to do quite a lot of external examining uh, for um, various universities across the UK, including Scotland and Wales as well as as well as England. Um, Another dimension of work that I was significantly involved with um, during my time at Avery Hill was the international side. Uh, I was partly instrumental in organising exchange programmes for students in the second year of our undergraduate programme, enabling them to visit countries on the continent, uh, most especially some of the Scandinavian countries, uh, and I was responsible for organizing a program for European students from the continent uh, at, at at Avery Hill as well as part of that exchange experience um, so that uh, and I also coordinated um, uh, a european a, a course called the European Teacher for tomorrow um, which i which involved five or six different countries and students from different countries. And I did that for several years, uh, largely actually in Portugal. That was our base. So the Europe, the international side to my work actually was really rather important while I was at, uh, at Avery Hill. And I have to say it gave me an enormous amount of pleasure and satisfaction. Now, that, I haven't said anything about NAEP yet. Um, while I was at Avery Hill, I was um, approached by... Henry Pluckrose, who was a very distinguished uh, teacher uh, in the the city of London, um, an author of several texts in the area of environmental education and art in education, and he suggested to me that uh, it might be an idea to establish a local branch of the National Association for Primary Education uh, based at the university. I followed up on that idea and... um, Duly established a local branch in two thousand uh, sorry nineteen eighty six um, so it was a couple of years after I had started at Avery Hill and that local branch was in many ways um very successful. It continued until right up until last year, and I remained chair of the local association for quite a time. Um, but I was very fortunate to have quite a strong team of tutors and local teachers, many of whom were graduates of the university, working alongside myself. And I think we played a, a fairly key role in the area of staff development for local teachers across Greenwich, Bexley, Bromley, West West Kent um, over a number of number of years. And some of the big names really. Some of the biggest names in education contributed to the programme and we provide the opportunity for a lot of local teachers to talk about the initiatives they were taking in their respective classrooms. Um, so I regard uh, that as, uh, as a significant achievement because essentially it was partnership in action, partnership between the university and local local teachers and under that umbrella of Nape, South East London, we were able, I think, to organise a range of lectures, seminars. We also published uh, collections of papers as well, based on the conferences that we held. Um, so there was a, a lot came out of that, um, and it's nice to look back and to think that we made a contribution to the development of expertise within the local area um, or the region, I should say, rather than the local area. Um, I didn't get involved with NAEP nationally until uh, 2014. Uh, So that would have been four, no, five years, almost five years ago. And I was asked whether I would be interested in joining the council. And uh, I was persuaded to come on to the council, partly because Lynne Hannay had just taken over as chair. And I felt at the time that she was somebody that I could work with very easily because uh, I respected her a great deal. And uh, and then within a couple of years, I agreed to take on the role of General Secretary which was a vacant role, and I said the rest is history. Uh, so that's how I've come to be on the National Council. The roots started elsewhere.
0: So the the local organisations within NAEP is something that we don't talk about very often, or certainly in the, the podcast so far. Um, and it seems to me, and I think maybe I've got a slightly different picture now, having been involved in NAEP in a few years, that actually when it comes from a group of people actually feeling like they've got control to actually make an organisation which fits with the things they want to do and like you say involved in staff training and actually supporting an already existing group rather than just setting something up because we feel there should be an area in whichever part of the country that seems to be a very organic way for it to actually progress
1: yes i i I think you're you're absolutely right and what was at the heart of nape southeast london was a group of tutors um and local teachers and indeed students who all felt a a commitment to the local branch partly because they had come into contact with each other through the various programs at the university so many of those members of the committee were former members of staff and they felt an allegiance to the university Um, indeed we had some who I'd come into contact with at the Dartford campus, uh, although most of those that, I, that, that served on the committee um, were actually graduates from Avery Hill itself, um, when it was either Thames Polytechnic or the, 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 or the University of Greenwich subsequently. Um, we had the advantage, of course, of having... Um, because we, we, we were based within a region we could be fairly confident that there would always be a reasonable audience for any of the events that we organised. One of the problems of organising anything nationally is that there isn't, if you like, a population base to draw upon um, because the membership is scattered in different parts of the UK. Um, But we have this advantage of being located within South East London And being reasonably confident that if we organized a conference with some particularly with some big names that that would be a draw.
0: So leading on from that it would also seem that the other area which has been very successful is Oxfordshire Um, and that stemming from the Festival of Voices which I believe is where it all started 35 odd years ago Um, and they've got a very strong presence and, and strong following there and in the next few weeks, the 29th of, of April, we've got our annual Shiller Lecture, which is being held in Oxford Brookes University. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? And, and, and was that a reason for having Oxford as a, as a venue, t- just to actually draw on the fact we've got a lot of members there and actually a very strong, strong following?
1: One of the key factors was certainly uh, the involvement of uh, a number of people in Oxfordshire in National Association for Primary Education, and it did seem appropriate to therefore switch from a london venue and last year because it was at the University of Greenwich to a venue in oxfordshire um I was also um I was also mindful of the fact that if we held it in Oxfordshire, that would enable John Coe to attend and given his involvement in the Schiller lectures over the years um I felt it important to at least try and, and ensure that uh, he might have access to the, the venue, which he wouldn't have if we were to repeat it again in London. Um, the, as you say, the, the, there are a number of schools that are involved with the festival voices in Oxfordshire, and hopefully they will want to be involved. Now, of course, this year we, it's based at the um, Oxford Brookes University, And we were hoping that uh, this would enable both students and staff to attend as well as uh, teachers from local schools. Not quite as optimistic as I was last year about the turnout for this event. But given the fact that it's being addressed by Teresa Kremin, Professor Teresa Kremin, who is one of the major figures in the world of uh, literacy in education, particularly primary education, I would hope that at the end of the day, the event will be well supported. I cannot think of a better speaker. She is absolutely inspirational, uh, as well as being very authoritative in the field of of literacy and indeed the creative arts and education
0: so just before we started recording you were telling me the fact that you've been a, a governor at a, a school for quite a few many yeah, years yes. and how does that sort of influence your ideas of education from having that hat on and also how that develops into nape and, and and your sort of understanding of that sort of overarching kind of idea of, of education from that sort of professorship to a governing body and 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 all of those sort of different places at the same time
1: that's a very interesting question that you've raised and I think that Governorship has been a very important part of my professional life over the over the years, Uh, and particularly over the last uh, twenty or so years as a uh, uh, as a chair of governors. Um, The it's important. First of all, it provides me with an a link with the classroom coalface. Um, And if I didn't have that link with a particular school, um, I would find it much more difficult, I think, to make any pronouncements on Mm -hmm. education. Um, But the fact that I am in and out of school and that I have the opportunity of not only attending all the committee meetings that are held at the school, um, the governor committee meetings but it gives me an opportunity to actually get into the classroom, meet with teachers informally, meet with teacher assistants as well, and indeed meet with the children. All of that, I think, strengthens my understanding of what's going on in the world of primary education. But apart from that, being in the chair's position also has alerted me to... First of all, the delicacy of the relationship between governors and schools. You are walking something of a tightrope because on the one hand you do have a monitoring responsibility. On the other hand, you also have a responsibility to support the school. Um, Sometimes it can be very difficult to um, synchronise those two dimensions of being a governor. And there have been moments when I have had to take a fairly firm stance wearing my governor hat and to say things that the head in particular of the school would not have been happy about. Um, most of the time I've not been in that position. I've been able to be absolutely supportive, particularly in recent years with under the current uh, leadership of a very gifted, I think, head teacher. Um I'm also well aware, as a result of being a Governor, that we have a special relationship with the local authority, and I have been involved particularly with the appointment of our last last head teacher um, of the, the again the delicacy of the relationship between the local authority and the governing body because governors although they are influenced by the policies and pronouncements of the local authority, at the end of the day, in relation to appointments, particularly the appointment of a head, it's the governing body that must make the decision. And I was involved in some quite tricky discussions um, at our last round of, of of appointments of a head teacher uh, with the local with the local authority. Uh, I, but I found I find these sorts of challenges. Interesting, um, and at the end of the day, I was able to get my own way, I have to say, uh, and we were proven absolutely right in terms of the strength of the appointment that we that we made um, so sometimes you have to take a stance in relation to a local authority, which is also a strong stance rather than a submissive one um, i I'm also well aware, um, and I suppose I find this challenge of great interest as well, that sometimes you have to get involved with some of the problems within the school vis-à-vis parents. And of course, if parents are not satisfied with some aspect of policy or some aspect of implementation of school policy, as a last resort, they can come to you as a chair of governors. And I've had several cases of that kind to deal with, and that's involved me in a great deal of research, um, talking to members of staff, and particularly the, the head teacher, and then writing uh, some sort of document to the complaining parent. Um, and I suppose I've been reasonably well placed to take on that role because of my background in education. I have to say, I think I'd have found it almost impossible. To deal with some of those complaints that I've had to, to address if I didn't have a strong background in in primary education, so the I've enjoyed being a governor enormously, and I think it's been a great privilege, which is why I've been very reluctant to to give it up um, but as I've said to the head very recently, at the point where she feels or other members of the governing body feel that Um, they would do better to get somebody else to take on the role as chair, Um, then I would be very happy to take a a back seat and let somebody else take over. Uh, But for the moment, I'm happy to continue.
0: I think it's really important for... For all of us listening and, and members of, of the organisation to really understand that the people on the National Council really do have this breadth of knowledge and understanding and experience that when we're actually in a position of dealing one-on-one, like you say, whether it's a, a parent or, or a member of staff, and as you've just been talking about, with your governor's hat on, but that it goes such a long way because recently you've been integral in in supporting the primary umbrella group um and now we're talking about sort of national organizations and 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 all manner of people coming together to support primary education across the country so can you talk us a little bit about about that and how that's worked out
1: yeah that's been a, a significant development over the last six months or so um the primary umbrella group is essentially a forum for associations, groups, organisations that are engaged in primary education. So it involves the unions, uh, like the NEU, National Education Union, um, the NAHT, National Association for Head Teachers. It involves some of the subject associations. Um, the uh, So we have science represented, the Association of Science Teachers, uh, we have um, citizenship represented. Uh, we we have um, history has been represented, uh, though not very not very recently. Literacy is well represented uh, through the United Kingdom Literacy Association, um, and then there are general associations like ourselves, like the National Association for Primary Education, which has a focus across the board. Rather than within a particular subject, um, so we have uh, some early years groups that are represented. We have the National Association um, for Special Educational uh, Needs. We also um, have NAPTEC representing National Primary Teacher Education Council. So these are associations that have a sort of a broader concern with primary education. Um, I got involved in helping to uh, revive this primary umbrella group at the beginning of the year because the previous chair had uh, resigned and had left something of a vacuum. There was nobody had really taken it taken it on, and uh, it was suggested that actually NAEP ought to do something about it, um, and I agreed. Therefore, as general secretary of NAEP, I uh, Coordinated the first meeting earlier in the year, that would have been in December. Um, and one of the things that we agreed to at that meeting is that we needed to broaden its membership. And I've therefore gone out of my way to involve other associations as well, which have a, an interest in primary education. So at our February meeting, uh, I think for the first time for several years, we had over 20 present. And there are a number of other associations that have come on board since then. So it's it's now, I think, viable in a way that it wasn't really last year because it had dwindling numbers last year. And there was considerable dissatisfaction, I think, with the way in which it was being managed at, almost at the last minute. Um, I've tried to ensure that there is a a programme of events organised in advance, uh, so everybody's got their dates in their diary, and certainly the last meeting, which was addressed by two members of the Ofsted inspectorate about the current consultation on the Ofsted inspection framework, that, that there was a real buzz at the meeting, and I certainly felt that, w- that the, the revival of the primary umbrella group this year was more than more than justified, and I'm pleased to have played a role in bringing it together. Um, Because I do think uh, NAPE has a key role to play, not necessarily in the organisation of events, but it has a key role, first of all, as a mouthpiece for primary education, which is where the primary first, of course, plays an important role. But it has a key role to play in terms of bringing together groups and associations that have an involvement with primary education. Um, It's a facilitating role. That NAPE has, and uh, I think it's important that NAPE is seen to be playing that kind of facilitating role within the within the world of education.
0: And I think there you can understand that by being a member, um, what it does is it just gives us the opportunity to have such a big impact, like say across the the whole primary sector, because we we are from because we're dealing with children from birth to thirteen um because like I say we're dealing with lots of different organizations which may be just subject led so as as a broader organization we can we can do that because we have parents as members as well as teaching staff um we have that complete broad perspective, and the people that are involved in cancer as you would have been hearing over these podcasts also then give us a real chance to um like I say coordinate things that are going on as well as having the opportunity to do some things like the Shida Lecture which obviously is a specific event where we can actually get some of some of the more renowned speakers to come and give you the opportunity to hear some of the the great knowledge and wisdom that they have. The other thing that we we do which is important is that some of the things that we're invited to attend and also some of the things that we actually have an important say in things like the the uh, Cross-party um, parliamentary committee, and also last week we both went to the fourth um, well-being conference that was he- that was held in London as well. Um, and so we get that opportunity to find out a lot about things that are going on and pass comment on those things. But people people also um, listen to what it is that we say. And so as a member, you you should hopefully feel that, and if you have anything that you want to say to us, anything that you have a concern about, or anything that you think is positive you can feed that into us as a national council which we can then use as a voice to put out into the the education world beyond am i right in thinking that's that's a really useful way that members can really feel like they've got a um a say really in in how either their children personally are involved in education or as staff members within working in the the profession of education can feel like they've actually got some impact on the way that things are going to move forward
1: i think you're 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 right and it's true that several of us Uh, have been involved in a number of of national associations. Um, You've referred to the all-party parliamentary group for the teaching profession, which was set up a couple of years ago. And certainly um, I've had the opportunity of attending most of those meetings and have raised a number of issues um, as a member of the National Association for Primary Education. Uh, Peter has recently joined us as well on that uh, all-party parliamentary group and he has also spoken um which I'm delighted Which I'm delighted about um the and I think that if members of Naep have concerns or points they want to make we would always appreciate hearing them um and if you feel you want to pursue any of those issues in greater depth then of course there's always the possibility of writing an article for primary first, and I know the editor John Coe would always be pleased to hear about particular issues that uh, members might have, and which they want to pursue in further depth in writing.
0: So, to bring all this to a close, to round, round up everything that we've we, we we've we've been talking about. Is there is there anything that you'd like to say to to our members or, or people that are actually um, listening that you think would be a reason for them to to, to become a member? I think I think sometimes we sort of feel like there's always someone else which is doing it or something else that people would um, things are te- being taken care of on their behalf. But actually, it's in, it's really important that we have members coming into the organisation and all of us to, to to carry on the work that we're doing.
1: I think that it's very important um, in this day and age that teachers feel that their voice is being heard um, more widely by politicians and indeed by the wider community. And NAEP plays, I think, a significant role in ensuring that the teacher's voice is heard. And I'd like to think that there are many teachers out there, who, once they're aware of the significant role that's been played by NAEP over the years, will actually want to join NAEP. Uh, the fee is not a great a great deal, the but by joining, you're help you're helping us to continue to flourish as an organisation. Now we have recently have benefited from. Um, an endowment from a a generous benefactor and that has played a significant part really in enabling us to do the things that we want to do. But in the long term, um, there is no question that that to be viable, uh, we need the support of members. And therefore, if there are people out there who are thinking about joining us but haven't actually taken that step, Let's hope that you will be persuaded to to do so. We certainly need all the the help that we can get from from teachers, not just teachers, others involved with the world of primary education, including including parents. Um, and hopefully, you might also want to attend some of the events that are organised from time to time by by NAEP. Um, so let's. One has to be optimistic about the future um, This may be a time of great stress in many ways for for education um particularly given the sort of financial climate that we are under at the moment and all the uncertainties over over brexit um but on the other hand, there are some things that have changed very much for the better in the world of education over the last ten to twenty years, and we must hold on to those. Those things. It's a much more collegiate profession than it ever used to be when I first joined the teaching profession. Uh, certainly it's a much more rigorous profession in terms of, I think, the way in which teachers are trained and qualified. Um, there is a much greater support within school communities from teacher assistants, from learning mentors and so on, which would have been unheard of when I first joined the profession. So there are some things that are going on that are enormously encouraging. One would like to think that that, that NAEP could continue to actually play a role, a significant role in the teaching profession um, as a mouthpiece, but also as a forum for bringing people together. I've touched upon some of the changes for the better in the teaching profession. And it is very it is easy to overlook some of those changes that I think have that have been important for helping the profession to uh, to develop. One of the things that NAEP is always concerned about is the underlying the underlying values in education, and there is always a concern that those underlying values have been eroded over the over the years. Values to do with the importance of child centeredness in relation to curriculum design, Uh, values to do with the child's entitlement to a broad curriculum, Uh, values to do with openness in education with regard to encouraging open relationships between teachers and pupils, between pupils themselves and so on, Uh, values to do with inclusivity especially in relation to uh, multicultural education and to do with the way in which we support children with special educational needs. Now those are important values and I think that there are systems that have been introduced over the years that have contradicted those values, that have made it more difficult for us to actually implement those sorts of values. And those systems, in particular, are bound up with the high stakes high stakes assessment regime that we now have in primary education, something that would have been unthinkable when I entered the profession way back in sixty seven on the one hand it's right and proper that that there much more attention now is given to the way in which we assess children and the relationship between assessment and learning. Much more attention now is given to the way in which we track progress, the way in which we monitor pupil performance and so on. And all of that is is admirable uh, and it does make for, I think, much more effective teaching. But unfortunately, it's often overshadowed by accountability to the test And behind this, of course, has been the implementation of a testing regime, the SATS testing regime, which in many ways has been immensely damaging um, over the years. And that is a great tragedy in many ways because you can have rigorous forms of assessment, particularly rigorous forms of formative assessment, without the kind of testing regime that has been introduced and which has resulted in teachers being fearful um, with regard to whether the children are going to perform as expected or as expected by senior management within the school and as expected by Ofsted inspectors and so on. Um, There is no doubt in my mind that part of the problem we have with regard to teacher retention in the profession and problems to do with teacher morale are bound up with the nature of the testing regimes that have been implemented in primary education. And any government that really is committed to enhancing teacher morale, any government that really is committed to doing something about teacher retention as an issue, has got to look very critically at the whole examination system in our in our schools today particularly in relation to the primary primary years it's also had a crucifying effect on of course the breadth of the curriculum that children are expo- exposed to not in all schools and i'm pleased to say that there are schools that have stood up for their principles there are schools that have um like my, the school where i am a chair of governors Schools where they have continued to give children access to a very rich and broad curriculum. Um, And they are also committed to giving children the opportunity to have a range of experiences outside the classroom, whether it's part of the Forest School um, curriculum or or, or whether it's a visit to a local museum or the Barbican for a a concert with the London Symphony Orchestra and so on. many schools have held on to this with some difficulty uh, particularly on the financial front now but they've held on to it because they are committed to the right values and values that uh, i think Nate holds dear um but it is a great shame that there are these forces at work within the system that do make life increasingly difficult for for teachers and indeed for senior management within Primary schools, there are some signs that they may, that may be changing um, and one is one is delighted that Ofsted appears to be recognizing that its um, inspection regime might have been responsible uh, for the narrowing of the curriculum, certainly through the primary years, and it's now actually doing something about it, not as much as I would have liked, but at least it is doing something about it. Um, And having uh, heard Amanda Spillman talk um, recently, um, it it is encouraging that there is some awareness of the responsibility that Ofsted has had for some of the negative effects uh, of their regime within the the primary sector. And let's hope that um, things will change for, for the better. Um, but they will only change for the better if there is a commitment on the part of those in power, whether it's in the Labour Labour a future Labour government or a future Conservative government, who knows these days. And there's got to be a commitment to look again at the systems that we impose on primary education, particularly systems of, of assessment. Um, and they need to do so with the support of the profession um, rather than as a a way of controlling the profession.
0: So I really hope that over these calls of podcasts, where we've spoken to people on National Council, you can that the breadth of um, knowledge and understanding and experience obviously is key, um, but that also that you can see what an important role NAPE has as a, as an independent charity. Um, to actually have the, the voice of children at the heart of what they're doing and also the voice of you as a parent or in, in the education profession that we can actually be a guiding light, really, um, or certainly sort of try to steer the ship in a way which that has that child-centred idea of education, which hopefully will be um, something that we can support for many years to come. So, Robert, thank you very much for chatting to me today. It's been really interesting to hear your experience and, and your thoughts on all of these things. And, um, and we should give you an extended thanks of gratitude for all the work that you're doing, not just as General Secretary, but as a, an interim chair holding the fort as, um, as our National Council starts to reorganise itself and uh, moves forward.
1: Thank you. It's been a great pleasure.